Welcome to a new episode of the Good Faith ID Exchange. For today's episode, the person I'm sitting down with today has done things such as written federal legislation, counseled New Zealand government, even negotiated with a warlord in Burma for children. Her name is Amanda Katarzy, and she is, um, she grew up in a cult. She was raised in a cult. Uh, eventually she got out. She is a survivor of sex trafficking. And more recently, she has been going undercover throughout the United States and internationally to bust sex trafficking rings. So Amanda is going to share with us today not only her experience, what she has been through and lived through and conquered in her life, but she's also going to share with us resources that are available for people out there who are currently in dangerous situations like this, who are currently being sex trafficked or in an abusive relationship. She has resources that can help. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, first, Amanda, you know, just getting right into it, can you can you tell me a little about um, about this cult that you were in, and um, you know how long were you a part of it? I was born into it. Um, so the cult is called ATI, which is Advanced Training Institute or IBLP, Institute of Basic Life Principles, um, and it's an ultra conservative Christian cult. So when people ask me about my childhood, I usually just tell them that I was raised Amish um, or Mennonite. If And some people are familiar with that. Some people are not. But um, it just kind of sums it up. But then the little culty aspect to go along with it. <laughs> gotcha. So I was born into it. It was a way for my parents to raise us with a homeschool curriculum that was provided because when my parents were homeschooling us. It wasn't that cool. There weren't many resources. And this organization offered a full-blown curriculum to do homeschooling for your children. So I think that was one of the major draws for them. They weren't necessarily crazy religious. They weren't messed up. They were just trying to raise their children better than they had been raised. So gotcha. that's how we started. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, that kind of goes into my next question. Um, what can you what can you tell me about your life um, while you were in the cult? And does it still have an impact on your life since getting out? Oh, yeah. Um, so being raised in it, uh, there were the fundamentals of who I was was being formed as a child when you're seven or eight years old. You know, you're learning about the world. You're building ideas about who you are and how the world operates and your role in the world. And so my role, I was taught, was to create babies and to make a good home, to be a homemaker, to have the house clean, to cook, take care of all the babies, as many babies as possible as I could have, um, and to always make sure that my husband was happy. That was like one of the biggest things is you had to make sure your husband was happy and make sure you had a pleasant countenance is what they said. So a bright countenance. So you're, you need to be happy all the time. Um, and I was taught that, you know, beauty was vain, um, that my needs weren't priority, that 
education was not priority. Uh, so moving forward as an adult, that really did affect how I approached sexuality, how I approached relationships, how I viewed myself. So and whenever I felt like I looked good, it was immediately a sin. And I immediately would feel guilty about that. Um, so there was a lot of self-sabotaging built into my psyche and a lot of really bizarre ideas about dating and sexual relationships from a very early age. Um, so I was kind of groomed and primed for what would come later in my life for sure. I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm obviously very, very sorry to hear that you had to, you know, go through that. How old were you when you um, when you started thinking about getting out, and what made you begin to think about that? Well, um, I graduated from high school pretty early, so I was 15 years old. I graduated the high school curriculum, and my parents were a little bit outside the box of the cult. They were kind of the outliers, so they decided that I needed to go to community college locally. Um, okay. obviously I'd have a chaperone cause God forbid I do anything on my own. Um, and still adhering to, you know, I wasn't allowed to wear pants. I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. I wasn't allowed to cut my hair. Um, I wasn't allowed to listen to any music other than hymns and classical music or watch TV. So I was still extremely sheltered going into this public school environment. And that was my first experience of public education. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember the first time a, a man talked to me and being treated as an equal was really confusing. (laughs) And I think they all just started to rub off on me and the veil kind of started lifted of like, wow, these people aren't horrible people. Like I was taught these, these men aren't, you know, objectifying me. They're just wanting to wanting help on their algebra, you know, homework because (laughs) I'm way better at it than them, you know? Um, So it kind of started to, you know, bring about some disillusion about ideas I had about the cult. And then I listened to music once and I didn't go to hell. So then I started bringing clothes to change into. And, you know, I I bought my first pair of jeans and changed into jeans. And so it was kind of like this, I don't know, just this unlayering process of like, oh, well, that wasn't true. And I wonder what else wasn't true that I was taught. My mind was being blown in the process. So, (laughs) Um, and it wasn't probably until... I mean, we were kind of out of the cult because there's really nothing else they could really offer us at that point. Um, I hadn't, I'd been sent away to be rehabilitated at a training center that they had because I did not conform very well. Um, Mm. And so they were trying to fix me um, and that didn't really work. I, I just was resistant to it. And so they put me in the fasting room where they just don't feed you. (laughs) I'm doing quotations with my fingers. Um, Whenever they're they're like, oh, it's a fast where it's a holy fast, but basically they're just starving you um, and making you memorize scripture, which is really hard to do without proper nutrients to memorize anything. So it just didn't work very well. And they beat the crap out of me. And then they sent me home. So, <laughs> so we were basically being pushed out of the cult because of me and because I was making everybody look so bad. So it was kind of a combination of that and me going to public school for the first time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, so that brings me to how, did, how did you actually break away from the cult? And also how did you end up going undercover 
to bust sex trafficking rings? Like, I guess, how did all that come about? Yeah. So the super short version is <laughs> I what got into my rebellious stage about 20, a little bit late, but that's all right. Um, and so my biggest way of rebelling against my parents was moving to California uh, and going to a very charismatic Christian school, ministry school, hmm. because they were ultra conservative. So that was like the worst thing I could have done to them. Um, in their eyes. So it was kind of funny. I rebelled by going to ministry school. Um, (laughs) And then once I graduated school, I didn't have any community. So all that trauma that I experienced as a child resurfaced because it was never addressed. So once I got outside of a structured environment school, uh, I was kind of lost. And I joined an MMA gym and started training and started fighting. And I was actually pretty good at it. And those people became my community and I am so grateful for them. They were not the healthiest people in the world. So, (laughs) and I never heard people talk about their issues and their emotions so openly. And I thought it was beautiful. Come to find out it was extremely dysfunctional. But, um, so I started sharing from my own life and like, oh yeah, this is what I experienced and I don't know anything. And I'm you know pretty dumb when it comes to world. And so that's when my trafficker found me who I thought was my boyfriend at the time. He, he definitely heard of all my insecurities. He, he understood how naive I was. So I was just primed for the picking. Um, and so he, we ended up dating and then that relationship turned horribly abusive and he began to sex and labor traffic me, um, on a native American reservation for about six months. Um, and so that was a pretty horrific experience as you can imagine. Um, and towards the end of the six months, I got into a car accident and had sustained severe brain trauma. So I couldn't form sentences. I I couldn't figure out how to order a pizza. Um, I, it was a really difficult process. But the one thing that became very clear was, hey, my relationship isn't that great and something's off and this isn't who I am. It wasn't like I'm being sex trafficked. It was like something's very messed up and I need to, I, I have a moment of clarity and I need to get out right now. So I actually committed suicide. They brought me back to life. I went and got a puppy because then I figured if I had a puppy, I wouldn't kill myself again. Um, And then I bought a one-way plane ticket back to Florida where I live and where I was from. And that's how I got out of sex and labor trafficking. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, that's, that's unbelievable. Um, It seems that it seems apparent that you have experience living and, and fighting against realities, um, so many of us don't really know that much about. What would you say are a few realities of sex trafficking unknown to to many people? Um, that it's happening probably right next door to you. <laughs> people don't understand. Hmm. People think of sex trafficking and they think Thailand or Indonesia, which yes, it's rampant there. I've worked undercover in those countries, you know, busting sex trafficking ring, getting men, women, children out of those situations. But it's also right next door. It's probably your daughter's best friend. It's happening to your second cousin. It's happening to, you know, men, women, and children 
all around you. It's just people don't really realize how rampant it is. It's the second most illegal, lucrative uh, money-making organization in America. So there's drug dealing, there's sex trafficking, and then there's illegal, illegal arms dealing. But you don't really hear about sex trafficking being reported on the news that much right. in America. And I think people just are overwhelmed by the horrors of it and they don't see a solution. So they just rather not talk about it. But um, peer-to-peer sex trafficking within high schools is really rampant, um, which is actually a double-edged sword because if a minor is selling pornographic pictures of let's say their girlfriend to their buddies they're both being having crimes committed against them so the let's say the girlfriend who has the pornographic pictures taken of her she's being sex trafficked because sex traffic is defined as any sexual act in exchange for something of value so she's taking pictures and he's benefiting off of it that sex trafficking he's also creating and producing and distributing child porn so not only is he sex trafficking her but he's also producing and distributing child porn so it's kind of a really messy situation because now you have a bunch of child felons (laughs) who are probably just thinking they're just trying to get back at their girlfriend and doing revenge porn or you know trying to show the guys like hey look at you know i i did it with her last night but right. you're committing a felony. So, <laughs> yeah. so I think a lot of people don't realize how rampant and how many people, what sex trafficking actually is and how right. easy it is to become a victim and how easy it is actually to be an abuser. Hmm. I mean, un- unfortunately, it seems, um, it seems like many instances of, of sex trafficking, um, yeah, at, le- at least I've, in, in, from what I've seen, some of them aren't that different from abusive relationships where, you know, where, where said person is being manipulated, you know, like, uh, like it's kind of like, it's, it's this mental um, and emotional hold that they, that they might have over you, you know, like kind of like the chains can't actually be seen, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that, that they're not there, you know? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. So it's not, about 1% of the cases I worked. So after I got out of sex trafficking, I went and got tons of therapy. And then I started working for an anti-sex trafficking organization in Florida called Sela Freedom. Um, and about 1% of the cases we saw were that taken scenario, like the movie okay. taken, yeah. um, to where people were actually locked in storage containers. I had a case where a bunch of girls we found were locked in dog cages here yeah. in my own hometown which is a very wealthy city. (laughs) Um, So that's about 1% of the cases, but you're exactly right. A lot of the, and a lot of people don't understand this is that sex trafficking is a highly manipulative, toxic, psychological brainwashing almost that happens. So even looking back on pictures or thinking back on situations, it's like, what the hell was I thinking? And I wasn't, I was being manipulated. My, fears and insecurities were being played on. And it's this eroding away of your morals. It's an eroding away of your boundaries and what you know to be true. Um, And then there's also a lot of factors like not feeding you. Um, A lot of pimps will put their girls on drugs so they can't really 
now they're addicted to something that they never wanted to be addicted to, but it just helps with them unable to control their own reality and makes them more and more codependent on their trafficker. Um, so there's a lot of factors in play as far as like codependent relationships, abusive relationships, psychological warfare, and then the, a lot of them will keep their girls up so they can't think properly because they don't have sleep, proper nutrition, and because they're drugged. So there's many factors that go into the psychological bondage that happens through this situation. So, I mean, I know right now, um, or I know at least more recently, you've been a, um, a, you've been a digital marketer and an MMA fighter, um, among other things. Can you tell me um, just in your, in your own words, uh, what you're up to these days and what life is like for you? Sure. I, I'm not fighting anymore because the car accident that I had okay. really messed up my brain. So okay. if I get punched in the face, I have a migraine for four days and can't finish my sentences again. I do gotcha. love hitting a heavy bag, though. I miss it so much. There's nothing like knocking somebody out. <laughs> I, I got you. It's, it's the sweetest feeling ever. Not to sound really messed up, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, um, so now, yeah, I'm really passionate about giving people a voice because I didn't have one for the majority of my life, you know, from the cult to being sex trafficked, my voice was really silent. So I am very passionate about helping people find their voice and use it effectively to benefit their life, whether it's for emotional healing or for if it's for their business and making a profit and making a living. Um, I think it's really important. And a lot, I think a lot of people don't really figure out who they are, or find their voice. I've had a lot of really intense life experiences that have forced me to be in therapy constantly and to develop myself as a person and be very intentional. And I don't think a lot of people have that opportunity. So I love helping people with that. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Um, that's awesome. And it's really great that you're that you're doing all the, that you're helping all these people. I mean, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, well, se sex trafficking is still um, a big problem in this country today, let alone in the world. What would you say are a couple things that have allowed this to happen? God, where do I start? Um, the majority of the clients I worked with in sex trafficking had about 98% of them had childhood sexual abuse as the, the root issue, the first domino, um, including myself. So I think teaching children how to disclose at an early age and giving children a voice and trusting them at an early age is really, really important. So part of my job when I worked for Sailor Freedom was going into schools and teaching children how to disclose all the way from kindergarten to 12th grade. Obviously, the curriculum was appropriate for the age group, but even teaching children, you know, who's a safe person outside your parents, because a lot of times these situations, parents sell their children here in Florida for drugs. That's super common. So children having a safe person outside of family is really important for them to learn how to identify that and to learn how to disclose at an early age. So trusting children when they don't want to hug your, the creepy uncle in the family, like letting them have ownership of their body, letting them be able to speak their truth and to back them up on that because children don't innately aren't manipulative innately. They're not lying 
you know, for the most part, you know, to, to get about something like that, they're not manipulative yeah. beings. They've learned that. So I don't understand why people don't trust their children more when they feel uncomfortable. I think that's a huge factor. I think the sexualization of children is huge. So we see that through a lot of the TV shows, a lot of um, even that, whatever that Netflix movie was, the cuties or whatever, where the girls are, little girls are twerking and in these like highly sexual positions. And it's like, oh, they're being beautiful and they're expressing themselves. No, you're sexualizing children. Seven-year-olds shouldn't think about twerking. They should think about you know, playing baseball or soccer or, you know, running around with their friends and they shouldn't think about being sexual. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So I think those components of having a safe environment as a child, learning to have their own voice, learning to disclose would nip that in the bud. And I think the sexualization of our children and of people in general have just gotten way out of control, unfortunately, thanks to marketing because sex sells. So Yeah, I, I mean, I could go on for hours about that, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got you. Are there any are there any resources or initiatives underway that you would recommend to someone uh, being sex trafficked or mm-hmm. or someone in an abusive relationship? Sure. Uh, the there's the National Human Trafficking Hotline. Um, if you just Google it, it'll pop up immediately. Um, that people can call if they think they see someone being sex trafficked or if someone's a victim of sex trafficking. They're very discreet. They're very trauma-informed. The other organization that I love, 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 and obviously worked for is CELA Freedom, S-E-L-A-H Freedom. And they are the best anti-sex trafficking organization for domestic survivors um, here in America. So they focus solely on American uh, girls and women being bought and sold for sex. And if you're a male, then they have resources to refer you to. So even if you're not a good fit for CELA, they can hook you up with tons of resources, government resources and other organizations that are trustworthy. So they're, they're phenomenal. I, I help them build their whole organization and I think they're doing it the best in my opinion. <laughs> gotcha. Awesome. Yeah, I think that this is something, you know, as you mentioned, you know, sex trafficking, I, I think is something that, you know, we, we know about, but we don't, especially here in America, we don't really know enough about and we don't um, really realize and understand how prevalent it is, how common it is, nor do, we, nor do a lot of us really realize, you know, resources that we can, um, that are available to us and what mm-hmm. we can do. Um, each of us about it. So I, I really want to thank you, Amanda, for for taking the time to sit down with me today. Um, I I really appreciate this. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to share. I really appreciate that. <laughs> okay, so that's pretty much it for the interview with Amanda Katarzy. I just want to put this out there right away. If you or anyone you know um, is the victim or you think they may be the victim of sex trafficking, there is the National Human Trafficking Hotline. They are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, in English, Spanish, and other languages as well. That number is 1-888-373-7888. Again, that's one 
373-7888. Also, if you would like to get in touch with Sela Freedom, you can find them online at S-E-L-A-H freedom.com. That's pretty much all that I had for today. Uh, you can find all of this information in the show notes. Um, I hope you all have a great day as usual. If you liked the uh, podcast, um, feel free to give it a rating, subscribe, all that stuff. Have a great day, everybody.